You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 will read the opening words that the Apostle Paul wrote to that church in Corinth. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Thus far, reading from 1 Corinthians, we'll turn now to the letter of John, his first letter, and we'll read chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when's the last time that you stopped to consider why we do the things that we do as a congregation. And I'm not only speaking about the things that we do when we, we gather together for worship, but you might say everything that we do 
as a congregation. What you'll be doing tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and every interaction that you might have with one another as a congregation. Even just before this worship service, we, we heard some announcements about some other things that we're doing as a congregation. Look in your liturgy sheet, you'll find more. And there's things that aren't mentioned because they're just regular, a regular part of congregational life. We do all these things. It's good to do all these things. We ought to do these things. But when's the last time that we stop to ask ourselves why? Why do we do all these things? We are part of a, a congregation, a community with a lot of fellowship. A lot of fellowship, lots of interaction, lots of rubbing shoulders with each other here and there and everywhere, bumping into each other. But is there a point to all this? What's the point? What brings us all together in this? Or are we just running around frantically, half crazy, just doing these things? If you want to observe people running around frantically, half crazily, and just doing things these days, I'd invite you to go to the mall, go to Walmart, go to Costco, go to Future Shop. Maybe you missed your chance. You should have gone on Friday. Go to Toys R Us. You'll see a lot of people milling around, rubbing shoulders, bumping into each other, chasing sales, loaded down like pack animals with boxes and gifts and who knows what other kind of gadgets. I know they're there because I've been there too, right among them. But sometimes you're in that frenzy and you you look around and you wonder, do these people know why they're here? Do they know why they're running around like crazy after these sales and, and buying these boxes? Have they thought about why they're here and, and how this purchase of a new pair of fluffy boots or Xbox One or, or Lego fits into the grand scheme of life? Like, what's the point? And sometimes we can be just like that crowd, can't we? On Friday, I saw some, some YouTube videos of some of the things that were going on in the States at, at different Walmarts around and the craziness associated with Black Friday. And as I watched the table over by the, the cookies, you can actually see a fair bit of resemblance this morning. Lots of buzz, flurry of activity, and certainly a lot of good activity. But perhaps there's also a lot of uncritical buzzing around. Every week as Reformed Christians, though, we, we gather here for worship, don't we? Every week we, we come together around the Word of God, and in the afternoon service we stop and we confess our faith. We don't buzz, we don't mill, we just stand and we confess our faith in the triune God. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of worship. But it's also an act of remembrance. It's an act of remembering why are we doing the things that we're doing? What are we here for? What's it all for? We consider the center of our lives and those truths that are to control what we do and what we think and what we say. So this afternoon we do just that as we consider 
what we confess when we confess the communion of saints. And I'm reminded of the speech of a, a man by the name of Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, famous speech that was entitled, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. Don't just do something, stand there. So this afternoon we stand there to consider the truth of what God's word teaches us about fellowship with one another in the church. And our theme is that we believe in fellowship with one another in the church. And we have seven points associated with that theme. It's just like Black Friday, two sermons for the price of one this afternoon. We believe in fellowship because God has saved us because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the mission of Jesus Christ, because we share that mission with other believers, because we don't have fellowship with the world, because so that we can share these gifts that God has given us and so that we can share especially, particularly, our financial gifts. So we begin with the basis of our communion or fellowship. The NIV translates the word that older translations had as communion. The NIV translates that as fellowship. So when we speak about the communion of saints, we're talking about the fellowship of saints. It's the same thing. Why are we here? Why are we in fellowship with one another? Because God has saved us and has adopted us through Jesus Christ, who atones for our sins. That's the foundation. That's the center We're all together, we're gathered together, everything we do together is because God, in his grace, sovereignly, by his power, has saved us, has rescued us from our sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, God has called us into fellowship with his son. His son, who Paul says later in that letter, is our our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. He is our salvation. And God has called us into fellowship with him. The fellowship that we share together is fundamentally fellowship in the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. It's fellowship in salvation. That we've been rescued out of darkness and into God's wonderful light. And this, in fact, is, is what's communicated by that very word saint. When we speak about the communion of saints. Now, saint is a very biblical word. You'll find it all over your Bible, especially in the New Testament. A very biblical word, but yet it's a word that's loaded with all kinds of unbiblical content. It gets that mostly from the Roman Catholic Church. There's a lot of Roman Catholic baggage still with this word saint, maybe even in the way that we think of it. To most people, a saint is someone who who lives or is on a higher level than everyone else around them. So in the church, the saints are the ones who, who are a little bit better and more special than the rest of us. But saints are not that special class of people who are better than everyone else. That's not the way the Bible speaks about saints at all. Saints is that are that bunch of people, that bunch of fools who stake their life on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a saint. That you're foolish enough to stake your life on Jesus Christ. That you don't look to yourself and how good you are. 
That you don't puff yourself up in the eyes of others. But rather, you recognize how weak and sinful you are and how dependent you are on Jesus Christ. If you depend on Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you're a saint. Then you are, as that word communicates, holy. Consider that that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the church in Corinth, and he called them saints. This church in Corinth that was full of division, that was tolerant of, of sexual immorality, that was struggling in, in many other ways, full of pride, envy, jealousy with one another. But Paul called them saints. Why? Because they were made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because they staked their lives on him. God had saved them and brought them into fellowship with his son. And that made them saints. So God's sovereign work in salvation. Through Jesus Christ. And his blood shed on the cross. That's the starting point for the fellowship that we share together in the church. We believe in fellowship, therefore... Because God has saved us. We also believe in fellowship because God has given us his Holy Spirit. God accomplishes this salvation. He calls us effectively out of this world and into the church, into his own family, through his Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who who does this work. And so he's the fuel and the fire of true fellowship. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, at the end of what was a long and difficult letter, Paul wrote these famous words, words that that you are probably very familiar with. When he said, he gave this blessing and he said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That church was facing division still, even after the first letter. They were fighting doctrinal error. In some ways, it seems like things hadn't really gotten that much better for them, even after receiving that first letter. And they had been very pointedly challenged by Paul to be more generous in their giving. They were up against a lot. Corinth was a difficult city to be a Christian in, full of immorality, full of idolatry full of wealth, full of materialism, many ways to fall. They were up against a lot and they had a lot to do. So where are the resources going to come from for that church and for all those Christians in fellowship together? Where were the resources going to come from? They were going to come from the Holy Spirit who distributes all the spiritual blessings of Christ to the church according to the wisdom and the plan of God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is that vital connection. That that life-supplying relationship. The one that keeps you strong against all your obstacles and keeps you motivated in all the tasks that you have to do as a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit who is that connection with the Father and the Son. And so the Holy Spirit's ministry among us and to each one of us is what fuels real fellowship among us. We also believe in fellowship because we share in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We share in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. We've been called into fellowship with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the Lord Jesus Christ doing? What's he busy with in this world? Well, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Lord of lords and King of kings. And he's busy defending, preserving, and increasing his church. He is, you might summarize it all, advancing his kingdom in this world through the gospel. Through the good news of what he's accomplished and the change that that brings about in your life. He's advancing his kingdom in this world through the gospel. And so, as a saint, as someone called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, that's your mission as well. We share in the mission of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Jesus Christ is your purpose. His agenda is your agenda. His to-do list is your to-do list. And so the nature of Christ's mission is going to determine a lot about the nature of our mission here on earth. And in fact, the nature of our fellowship, isn't it? We're all called together for a purpose. We're not called together onto some dreamliner, float through the the clouds of life over all the the sin and, and hardship until we finally arrive at our destination of heaven. No, that's not what Jesus Christ is doing in this world. Jesus Christ is advancing his gospel in this world, in the trenches of this world, in the darkness of this world, in the sin of this world. That's where Jesus Christ is at work, and that's where we're called to be at work as well. We've been called into the fellowship of war. We've been called to the war front to engage in and with this sinful world and to bring to this world the message of Jesus Christ. Salvation through him and fellowship with God the Father through his blood. So be, to be united in Jesus Christ and to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is to share in the common cause of Christ's mission altogether. As the Apostle Paul, in a different letter, he wrote to the Philippians. Notice how it's all these different churches and at different times. It's one message. He writes to the Philippians. And at the very beginning of his letter, he thanks God for their partnership with him In the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I thank God for your partnership with me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was the missionary par excellence, right? The missionary to the Gentiles, the one whose whole life was given to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he writes to those people in Philippi, he writes to tradesmen, he writes to doctors, he writes to stay-at-home moms, and he writes to politicians, He writes to people all busy doing the thing that God has called them to do. And he says, you are partners with me. And I'm motivated by the mission of Jesus Christ to see his gospel proclaimed in this world for the salvation of souls and for the renewing of lives and for the glory of God. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have fellowship in. And if we all together share fellowship with Jesus Christ, then of course, 
we share fellowship with each other in that same mission, don't we? We have a shared mission with other believers, and it's the very same one that Jesus Christ has. And so it's a deep fellowship, and it's a meaningful fellowship, like brothers in arms. We need each other. We support each other. And we share this, this deep unity of purpose. As, as Paul writes to the Galatians, different churches, he mentions that, that when he had gone to Jerusalem, he met with James and Peter and John, and that they gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Now he doesn't say, well, we happened to meet them on the street, and so we shook each other's hands. No, he's saying, we shared fellowship together. Uh, me and Barnabas were bringing, busy bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And James and John and Peter in Jerusalem, they recognized that what we were doing was the same thing that they were doing in Jerusalem, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. It was one and the same mission. And so when they met together, they shared fellowship. They connected. They said, we're on the same path. We're together in this. So let's get together. Let's join together. For the sake of the gospel. When we share that mission with Jesus Christ in our lives, when that's our purpose, then we share deep and meaningful fellowship, not only with Christ our Lord, but also with one another. We share fellowship on, on a level that, that no one else experiences. A real, true, firm relevant purpose in life to everything that you do. And you share that purpose with one another. And so when we come together, everything that we do together has to to fit with that purpose, doesn't it? Sometimes we need to critically self-reflect and to say, does what I'm doing and the fellowship that I share with other believers Is that centered around the mission of Jesus Christ? Is it related to what Jesus Christ is doing? That's going to change the way we do everything, isn't it? We come together as friends. The point isn't going to be to share gossip about so-and-so and what they're doing. That doesn't fit with the mission of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but what if someone else is there who's not a Christian? And they hear that. And they're going to say, what are these people doing? They're, they're, they're at each other's backs. They talk about each other behind their back. They're not united. They're divided. But if we always have in mind the mission of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in this world, and if that forms the basis for all our fellowship together, then we will be a light to this world. Then we will experience true fellowship And you will be a missionary right where you are all the time. Such is the fellowship that we have with each other. It's a meaningful fellowship. But there's also another side to it, isn't it? If if the mission of Jesus Christ is to call us out of the world, but yet to send his gospel into the world, then we're going to have this certain kind of relationship with the world, won't we? If the mission of Jesus Christ is to cause it, to call his church out of the world by sending his church into the world, 
then we're going to have a lot of interaction with the world. We're sent to the world. Jesus Christ is advancing his kingdom in this world. He's advancing the light in the darkness. And if the purpose of Jesus Christ is to move his kingdom powerfully forward through the gospel in this world, then that implies that we must be in the world with our feet on the ground, interacting with the world. And the early church, those churches to which Paul was writing and John and Peter, that church was deeply embedded in the world, deeply embedded. They were stars in the darkness. Paul uses that metaphor in in Philippians chapter 2 of stars in the darkness. And, And the metaphor is that there's a big black sky out there. There's a whole lot of darkness and there's just a few little stars. But they shine. They shine where they are. So they shine in the midst of the darkness. But yet, the church was warned against sharing fellowship with the world. Don't share fellow. If you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, you do not have fellowship with the world. That means sometimes certain people who you're not going to have fellowship with. And especially in certain important relationships, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? So in some of life's most important relationships, you can't be yoked together. You can't make a lifelong bond with an unbeliever. You can't date an unbeliever with the, with the goal of marriage. You don't have fellowship with them. You don't connect on the most fundamental purpose of your life. So you don't have fellowship with them and you ought not to. Because that says something about your mission. You can't be engaged full time with someone who is not a Christian and maybe even a best friend. Or some other very important relationship, you have to say, no, I don't share fellowship with you. So I cannot spend this much time with you. Now, Peter does write to those who, who after they were married, become Christian. He has a different set of rules then. He doesn't say, and Paul says the same, don't, don't get divorced. No, you've made that commitment and be a light where you are. But, Do not get into that relationship as a Christian, as someone whose purpose is rooted in Jesus Christ. So it has to do, sharing fellowship with the world has to do with who. It also has to do with how. In in how we act and how we live and how we live our lives. And the desires that fill our hearts. The Apostle John writes, if we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You cannot live a sinful lifestyle. You cannot engage that is willfully, repeatedly in the same sins and lusts and habits and addictions of this world. You can struggle against them. Believers will struggle against sin, but you do not have fellowship with them. You cannot give yourself over to them over and over. You cannot live that lifestyle and still claim to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to examine our lives. We have to examine how we live. And even how we think. Nobody knows your secret thoughts or desires except the Lord. No one knows whether in your mind you actually share fellowship with the world. You might be living a very noble looking Christian life. 
But yet every every purpose in your mind and in your heart is to make yourself look good, to honor yourself, to bring attention and glory to yourself. Well, then your purposes are at odds with the purposes of Jesus Christ. If you're married, not even your spouse really knows your deep desires. Only God does. It has to do with your desires. It also has to do with your time. Maybe you're, you're a single young person. And as the Apostle Paul says, this is wonderful because you have extra time to commit to serving the Lord faithfully. And that is great. But you also have a lot of time that nobody knows what you're doing. Don't you? And so you need to be sure that you do not share fellowship with the world, but rather with God. As John goes on, but if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. So we believe in fellowship so that we don't have fellowship with the world. We also believe in fellowship so that we can share the gifts that God has given us with one another in the church. In the church, we have fellowship with one another. And that means that we must and will express this fellowship in tangible ways. To say that I believe in the communion of saints is to say that I believe God has given me gifts to share with others. And God has given others gifts to share with me. That all of these gifts might be an offering to God. To make that confession, that's what it is to say as the catechism makes very clear. It's to say, I believe I've been given these gifts and others have been given these gifts and we're to share them with each other as offerings to God. As the Holy Spirit brings us into fellowship with the Son of God, the Bible is very clear that that he doesn't make us all the same. It's not that we, we all are, are one kind of shape or or way, personality, and the Holy Spirit has some big cookie cutter and he makes us all the same shape and then throws us into the church. No, not at all. In fact, the message of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit brings us all in different and makes us all different according to the grace that God has given us. Paul talks about the manifold grace, the different grace for each person that the Holy Spirit gives different gifts. He makes us all different. He gives us all different tasks. He gives us all different gifts. One person has the gift of leadership and one person doesn't. And that's good. Another has the gift of administration. Another encouraging, etc., etc. Paul lays them out in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages. No person in the church holds all the gifts to themselves. No person has to do it all. And that's good too. And no gift is more significant or important than the other gifts. In fact, in Romans 12, as Paul is speaking about these gifts, he starts it off by saying, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. We should all be humble when we consider the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. He hasn't given us these things so that we can exalt ourselves over others. He's given them to us exactly so that we can help others, so that we can serve them. So that we can humble ourselves before them and and seek their blessing before God. So the Spirit gives a diverse range of gifts to his church. He gives thinkers and he gives doers. He gives encouragers and he gives organizers. 
He gives those who who preach from the pulpit to the pew. And he gives those who make pulpits and make pews. He gives caregivers and caretakers, leaders and followers, those with youthful energy ready to go, and those with mature experience ready to say, hold on a minute. There's diverse gifts in the church. This is how the Holy Spirit brings us together, that we might use those gifts for the benefit of each other and the glory of God. So in this diversity, then, there's also unity, isn't there? That unity of purpose. So we always need to stop and think, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I serving in this way? Why am I using these gifts? Why have I been given these gifts? What's the point? And then remember that the point is the praise of God's name as his son, Jesus Christ, advances his gospel through this world. And finally, we believe in fellowship so that we can give generously of our financial gifts to one another in the church. Finally, then, we come to the money. We come to the money not because we, I feel that we need to talk about this, but rather because when God's word speaks about fellowship, it often ties fellowship and money together. You can think of Acts 2, our, our theme text for the home visits this year, where believers are, they express their fellowship in the gospel with other believers in what way? They share their financial gifts. They helped each other out when they were in financial need. Or you can think of when Paul referenced the Macedonian churches who wanted to experience fellowship with, with the other churches, specifically the church in Jerusalem. They said, we want to experience our fellowship with them, and so they gave money to them. Giving money to someone or some organization in need in Christ's kingdom is a real tangible way of saying, I'm with you. We share fellowship together. The purpose that I've been called to in Jesus Christ is the very same purpose that you've been called to. But you lack the financial resources in some way. And so I give. I'm with you. I support you. We're together in this. The Lord Jesus, in fact, says, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. So you can test your commitment to Christ's purpose in this world by testing where your money's going. So is your heart with Christ where he rules over all? Or does your heart share fellowship in the message of forgiveness of sins along with the purpose of Christ? Is your heart committed to the mission of Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, advancing his kingdom powerfully forward against the forces of Satan, the world, and yes, even our own hearts? Look at your balance sheet. Look at your budget. Where is your heart? The Lord Jesus Christ has called you into the church so that your heart would be with him. You'd share fellowship with him along with everyone else as he carries out his purpose of advancing the gospel in this world to the praise and glory of God the Father in heaven. And so when we're running around this time of year at Willowbrook or Women's Bible study, 
carting around Walmart or caroling at a senior's home, frantically preparing a meal for a new mom or someone else, or frantically completing your work for the next committee meeting, whatever you're doing in your busyness and in your quietness, may it be an expression of your confession. I believe in the communion of saints. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.